Hi, I'm Dan Permack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today is Friday, February 26th. Household income is up, AT&T is cutting down its stake in DirecTV, and we're talking with Airbnb co-founder and CEO, Brian Chesky. Airbnb and DoorDash are very different companies. One's a platform for getting out of your house, the other is for bringing food to your house. But in some ways, they're inextricably linked. For starters, they both went public late last year within 24 hours of each other. And yesterday, they both released their first ever quarterly earnings report. But, and this is really much more important, they're kind of flip sides of the same pandemic coin, where the pandemic's eventual end could mean very different things for each one. So today we're doing something a little bit different, two episodes. In this episode, we dig into Airbnb, whose business was decimated at the beginning of the pandemic to the point many thought the company might not survive. It did manage to turn things around from those early days, and everyone now agrees that Airbnb is on the precipice of a business boom, as travel is expected to surge once herd immunity is achieved. So we're pleased to be joined now by Brian Chesky to discuss what he expects for the future of his company and for the future of our travel plans. So, Brian, let's start here. Airbnb was part of kind of the stay private longer trend for a very long time. Part of the reason, at least that reporters always seem to think you guys and others were doing this, was to avoid having to deal with days like today, which is reporting your earnings publicly, dealing with bank analysts and the call and the whole thing. So was it as bad as you thought it was going to be? <laughs> um, it was totally fine. Yeah, no, it's not bad at all. I, I don't know if I, I was, um, you know, we were not rushing to go public, but it was less to avoid a reason to go public and more at the time we, you know, had investors that were really patient and we felt like we could grow really quickly in the private markets. But at some point we just felt like we were almost like a public company or financials seemed to find their way to be public. And so it just made sense. So no, but I'd say it's definitely a bit more responsibility but I like it because I feel like there's a bit more um, of a sense of a focus and a scorecard to measure your success. It's actually totally fine. And I just like the fact that we have so many individuals that are um, shareholders. You know, retail has been really strong for us. We have thousands of hosts that are shareholders. So it's really nice to have a wider base. Brian, let's talk kind of big picture here. You know, you and I, we spoke uh, right before you guys went public or right when you did go public. And you talked a bunch about how the uh, composition of Airbnb rentals had changed due to the pandemic. You know, obviously a lot fewer urban rentals, more uh, rural, beach, et cetera. Do you expect that as this year goes on, that when you look toward the end of the year, that the composition is going to look a lot more like it looked, say, in 2019 or 2018? Or do you think it's permanently shifted? It's permanently shifted. A hundred percent is permanently shifted. Um, obviously, I'm not going to try to predict every every part of the future. Anyone that was in the business of predicting the future last year probably went out of business or just didn't have a good business. So I'll be careful about that. That being said, you know there are a few things that seem pretty clear. It seems pretty clear to me that business travel is not coming back the way it was. I mean, a world of Zoom um, is a world where you don't need to get on a plane or get in a car to show up to a meeting. By the way, what a lot of people don't realize is much of what has funded the traditional travel and tourism industry is business travel. I mean, those planes, the front of those planes are filled with business travelers, but it's not just they're filled with business travelers. Those seats in the front of the planes fund every other seat on those planes to be as cheap as they are. Those business travelers patron the hotels, all these multinational corporations they, they patron. They also rack up points. Those points are now spent on private vacations. That whole ecosystem 
is maybe not going to go away, but it's going to look a lot different than before. So business travel is not coming back the way it was before. The other travel that I don't think is coming back in the same rate is mass travel. Mass travel as in people getting on double-decker buses with selfie sticks, showing up, waiting in long lines to take photos in front of landmarks, kind of doing stuff if you live in the city you would never do yourself. And that's not going to go away, but I think generally speaking, people are starting to fall out of love with that kind of travel. So I think the future, what's the future? I think the future is a world where traveling and living, those lines start to blur together. People start traveling for months at a time, and it's not even that nomadic because they have a home, they can work remotely. So I think you're going to see this new world of traveling and living blurring together, and people aren't just going to be going to the same cities. People will still go to Miami, Orlando, Vegas. But they're going to go to a lot of other places, too. You know, people are going to patron smaller cities, smaller towns, smaller communities. National parks are going to be a huge thing. I think national parks. There's 400 national parks in the United States. Most Americans live in the Natanga Gas National Park. Most Americans have never been to one. I think because of COVID, people had to go outside. And because they're outside, they're realizing, actually, you know, it's pretty nice out here. We should consider spending time outdoors. And so we think outdoor activities would be huge. So the answer to your question, Dan... Travel is going to come back, but it's never going to look like it did before. It's going to look something different. I think it's going to look a little bit like what I told you, but it might be even different. Is that new normal better or worse for Airbnb? It's absolutely much better for Airbnb. I mean, I would have never asked for such a crisis, but who knew that, you know, something would transpire that, you know, would, you know, just play to so many of our strengths. What transpired, meaning a world where there was a shift to leisure travel, a shift from big urban travel to kind of everywhere, a shift from short one to two night stays to longer term stays, a shift where people want to kind of feel more connected to the places they're going to because, you know, they're feeling really isolated, um, a shift where people are desperate to earn more income and cities are desperate for tourism dollars. These are all trends that have happened the last 12 months. Pretty much every one of them will benefit the business. There might be headwinds. There always will be headwinds. But, you know, I, I think one obvious headwind is we got to be prepared for this growth. The first time Airbnb really took off and grew, you know, like a decade ago, I was a first time CEO, I was in my early 30s, and we weren't totally ready for all the growth. And so, you know, trust and safety issues got a little bit beyond us, customer service policies. We grew faster than we can manage relationships to cities. So I've mobilized the entire company for this travel rebound in every part of the company, whether it's customer service, getting it ready to go, um, scaling up our, you know, relationships with cities to make sure they can handle the volume that we're obviously going to be likely anticipating. We're working really, really hard to be ready this time. So let me ask about that rebound. When do you think the true explosion of travel in 2021 is going to happen? You must be seeing advanced bookings and people are making decisions. Is there kind of a locus of activity? Yeah, um, I probably can't go into too much about what we're seeing. Um, that would be like giving a little bit of indication of forward-looking guidance. But the other thing I want to just say is I think it's pretty clear how travel is going to change. I think it's pretty clear travel is going to come back. I honestly, to God, do not know when it's going to come back. I don't think anybody does. Let me rephrase. Do you not think the consumers at least expect it's going to be this summer? They might be wrong, but they're anticipating this summer. A hundred percent. Let me tell you what I do know, because I don't know when exactly it's going to come back, but I'll tell you what we know. So just to give you a point of reference, Dan, we did a, a survey of significant survey of American consumers to ask them about their opinions of travel in 2021. People told us the following. Number one, they said they missed travel more than any other out-of-home activity. They missed traveling more than going to restaurants, going to live sports, really doing anything outside their home. Number two, more than 50% of people said this year they intend to travel or they're already planning to travel. Interestingly, people making less than $50,000 a year 
have also, the majority of them have said they intend to travel this year. So this is not just a high price point phenomenon. This is a phenomenon that crosses all price points. What people have said is they will travel as soon as they feel safe to do so. That's pretty subjective. Is it, are they safe when they're vaccinated or something else? We didn't ask that follow-up question, but I would say, um, you know, I think a lot of it, the rebound is get, from a timing standpoint is going to be pinned to the vaccinations and when people feel safe. That's probably a better question to ask a health professional. But I'll tell you, the moment people feel safe, that's the moment this rebound is going to come and it's going to come pretty big. You mentioned vaccinations. I'm curious, are you seeing on host, um, host pages anything about, you know, we are vaccinated or as a request for, you know, guests must be vaccinated or would prefer vaccinated guests? I'm not actually aware of of that trend or let me put it this way, if it's, if it's happening, it's not uh, been significant enough to reach me. I mean, we have four million hosts, so I'm sure there's all sorts of things that I wouldn't know about going on, but we don't see any like major trends like that. But we do see a lot of people taking a lot of precautions. So for example, last year we hired um, Dr. Vivek Murthy. He was Surgeon General of, under um, Barack Obama. He co-designed with us an enhanced cleaning and safety protocol um, last year that more than one million of our hosts um, went through a full like kind of guideline program and, and then did a self-attestation that they completed the program. And um, yeah, I think it's been really helpful. Our hosts, I think our hosts genuinely want to do the right thing. They don't want to get their guests sick. They don't want to get sick from their guests. So we're finding them taking a lot of precautions. Right now, the entire homes business is doing better than the shared homes business. Our like roots, our roots, the very beginning of our roots are in shared spaces, shared living rooms, or obviously renting a bedroom. That is not doing as well as entire homes, but that will be back as soon as people are comfortable being in the same space together again. One of the things that you guys own is Hotels Tonight. So even though you compete with hotels, you also have a hotels business. Hotels didn't go out of business and shut down at the same way that restaurants have over the pandemic, but a bunch of them have. Do you expect that we're going to see a, a boomlet in new hotel openings, or do you think that's maybe years, years in the future? I mean, there may be a boom in the future. If there is, it's probably, it probably is years in the future. I'll only caveat by saying I'm also not, you know, a hotel executive will know a lot more than I will. There are a couple things that seem to be obvious, though. Number one, and we know this a little bit because we obviously have hotels on our platform through Hotel Tonight. And I just want to say I'm very proud that we own Hotel Tonight, even though our energy and priority is proportionally on the individual host. A hotel really needs to be above 50% occupancy to break even and be able to pay their debts on their properties. And the average hotel in the United States is around, was it around 40, 45% occupancy. So those are unsustainable positions for them to be in. And many hotels have not made it through, especially smaller boutique hotels. So I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. Um, for those that sort of have made it through it, they'll be fine because if they got through this, the future will be a lot better for them. But I think there's going to be some reticence in probably doing new construction for a little while. So I think we're going to see is probably the next few years, you're not going to see a lot of new hotels coming on the market. And then my prediction is then, you know, I don't know when, three, five years from now, maybe later, you might see, call it a new generation of hotels. You know, whenever something like turns over, a new young generation has new ideas. And so maybe someone will come with a whole new spin on a hotel that looks unrecognizable and maybe it will take off. Do you expect that most people are going, and do you want most people to come back to the office full-time when it's safe to do it? Or if somebody you know, moved to Salt Lake City for the last six months, good for them? We have not, um, I've not rolled out our like kind of future workplace policy with the employees. What I have told them though, is that flexibility is like a thing of the future. And 
I, you know, some CEOs are going full remote. I think to go full remote in the midst of a pandemic seems a little premature to say how you're going to work forever. Like the world's still really dynamic. At the same time, people saying that like working remote is only a negative and everyone's going to go back to the offices. I think that's probably not going to happen. And anyone who thinks that's going to happen is going to probably learn the hard way when they're going to have trouble hiring people because a lot of really talented people aren't going to want to live in the city they have offices in. So I think being remote is a thing of the future. I think the future is really flexibility. I think you're going to have a lot of companies where people work, not where there's an office, but they're going to not be solely remote. They're going to have a hub and spoke model. So I think the future is a hub and spoke model where a bunch of people work out of headquarters, a bunch of other people don't work out of headquarters, but they go back maybe every month or every quarter or every half of the year, and they spend a bunch of time building relationships coming together. So you're going to see a lot more of this. And I think that hub and spoke model is probably not just an American model. That's probably international. So you might start seeing a situation where People just start living in different countries for different periods of time as well, as long as they're in the right time zone. So it'll be pretty fascinating. I mean, I think the really big, Dan, the really big question is what happens with international mobility. In other words, what we've seen now is that people are traveling to lots of smaller communities and people are living nomadically within the country. And that's because borders haven't opened up. Once borders open up, do people stay in that physical location or do they also move around more nomadically within other countries? I don't know the answer to that. I would speculate to say there'll probably be a lot of global mobility, and that will probably fundamentally re-alter the workplace for the future. You guys have to report, obviously, like every other company, year over year. Do you feel silly when you do it? Everybody knows that Q1 of 20, for, particularly for a company like yours, Q1 of 2021 and Q1 of 2020, I mean, it's a kind of ridiculous comparison. Yeah, I don't think year-over-year comparisons are going to make a lot of sense for the next year. Um, so, you know, I think that, a comparison of 2021 over 2019 might be uh, an okay comparison, but I think it's going to take, you know, a little while for things to normalize, right? I think maybe a better comparison than year over year is to compare Airbnb to other companies in travel, because that's a more fair comparison. Like comparing us to a pre-pandemic world in a pandemic, all that tells you is we're in a pandemic. It doesn't tell you much more than that. Comparing us to other travel companies in a pandemic tells you a lot, though. And I think one of the things that I'm pretty proud of is though our revenue was down by 30%, most other travel companies were down by about 60%. And those are the ones that were not as affected as badly as the offline travel companies, like more old school travel agencies. They were pretty decimated. So we're in a pretty good position. But I also, you know, I know that a lot of, I also want to just acknowledge something. A lot of people have gone through a lot of pain and suffering in the hospitality industry. I think that at one point, the unemployment rate in hospitality at the low was at 40%. And I think it's still pretty high. It's still double-digit unemployment for former hospitality workers. And so, you know, we definitely feel for people. I hope that maybe some of them can turn to hosting if they don't get rehired by their own companies. You know, we have, um, you know, millions of hosts. 55% of them are women. And a lot of them do come from the hospitality industry. But it's been a really, really rough period for our industry. I mean, it's been hard for us. It's been harder for others. And I feel for everyone. Ryan, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Dan. See ya. Welcome back. A quick reminder that this is just one of two episodes we published today. The other is with DoorDash CEO, Tony Hsu, and you can find that at Axios.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a listen, subscribe, and leave us a review. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national pistachio day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios recap.